Hey guys, thanks for tuning in today to the JTP Church Podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message. If you want to share with us what God is doing in your life, you can write us at hello at jtp.church. If you would like to partner with us and make a financial gift to our ministry, you can visit us at www.jtp.church and make a donation. Now sit back and enjoy the message. Tonight, not an easy task, but I'm honored. I changed my message, I think, about three times I was sharing this with Jesus. And it wasn't even at the beginning, like, let me just pick a topic. And no, I was like eight pages deep in three different messages. And then God's like, nope, that's not it. That's not it. That's not it. And then I remembered hearing once, if you preach from your weaknesses, you'll never run out of material. And that's when I felt the Holy Spirit tug on my heart, and it just came. And then this morning, the apostle preached almost exactly the same message. And so that's how God said, I'm in this. Amen. And so I'm so excited to share this word with you guys tonight. It's called, It's Not Too Late. Come on, why don't you look at the person next to you and tell them, it's not too late. Find about three or four people and tell them, it's not too late. And with that, I'm going to ask you to take your seats. And I want to jump right into it. It's not too late. And we're going to be focusing in on this passage, which is in Genesis 16. And we're going to be reading from verse 1 through 4. If you guys can follow me there. It's not too late. It says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. And she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. So please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. After Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar. You got to love the Bible. And she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. I love reading the Bible. What what we just read right now, this is scandalous. When people tell me the Bible's boring, I tell them it's obviously because you don't read it. Because the Bible is so full of drama. This passage that we just read right here, I mean, this could be a reality TV show. Desperate Housewives of Canaan, right here. Desperate Housewives of Israel. It's full of drama. And you know, I love so much that the Bible's full of drama because... Sometimes we can fall into the mistake of thinking that in order to be used by God, I have to have it all together, and I have to be perfect, and I have to be really nice and neat, but the Bible that I have doesn't show me that. The Bible that I, that I read and that I love shows me that the Bible heroes that I look up to and I admire so much were full of flaws, like you and I, and that didn't exempt them from God's glory, that didn't exempt them from being used by God, because the truth of the matter is that life gets messy sometimes, Right? Life gets messy because anything that God creates makes a mess. Anything. Think of any, any creative process. Anyone ever done a DIY project or into like arts and crafts? It's messy. The meals we cook at home get messy. How many of you guys like to cook? I have to be honest, I barely cook anymore. I like to cook. I used to think I was pretty good at it. In Cuba, we have this saying that when a woman is ready to get married, it's because she can cook. When you can cook, right? And I thought I could cook. I'm pretty good at it. But my husband, Adam, 
is amazing. He's amazing in the kitchen. And so he's the one that's always cooking. But he's also extremely messy in the kitchen. I mean, when Adam's in the kitchen, there's stuff flying everywhere. There's pots and pans. I mean, there's piles in the sink. And it used to bother me so badly because, especially because when we got married, we made an agreement and we said, whoever cooks that day doesn't have to wash dishes. And I hate washing dishes. So guess who's always washing the dishes in our house? Me. But it doesn't bother me so much anymore because when I get home, usually I get home and he works night shifts. So he's usually home making lunch when I get home from work. I'm blessed. Hello. And usually I get home and I see that everything's a mess. There's things everywhere. And it doesn't bother me anymore because I know that what I'm about to eat is going to be really good. I know that when everything's a mess, Adam's up to something. I'm about to eat real good. Can I tell you that tonight, don't be discouraged if your life is looking kind of messy. If things are kind of all over the place, God is up to something. Come on, why don't you look at the person next to you and tell them God is up to something. God is cooking up something real good for you. God is cooking up something. And sometimes in those hangry moments that we go through, because I get hangry and it switches like, from one second to another. Sometimes if we're not patient, we could just like be tempted to grab a Hot Pocket and pop it in the microwave. Don't get me wrong, I love Hot Pockets. But how many of you know it's not the same as a nice sirloin steak with potatoes, you know? And sometimes, how, can I tell you that sometimes we settle for Hot Pockets when God is just telling us, if you're just patient, if you'll just wait just a little bit, I got something real good for you. How many of you guys can say Amen. And I see this in the life of Sarah. Sarah is barren. She's frustrated. In Genesis 12, God first gave Abraham the promise. Abraham the promise. He said, I will make a great nation out of you. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand and the seashore. And at that time, they were old. And the Bible never fails to remind us they were old. It was impossible. But if it was impossible in Genesis 12... By now, what we just read, Genesis 16, it's extremely impossible. They're 75 years old. And God is still reminding them of the promise, but Sarah has gotten discouraged. Like many times we get discouraged in our waiting. And look what Sarah did with the delay. She told her husband, sleep with my maidservant, because she's in the prime of her youth, Sleep with her, and she can give you a child because I can't give it to you. Scandalous. Guys, that's how you know Sarah wasn't a Latina because Latinas, we don't play that, right? She says, sleep with my maidservant, and she could bear you a child. And, of course, Abraham agreed. He was so generous. He was so, so selfless. He's like, yeah, baby, whatever you need me to do, I'll do it. So now they catch themselves doing something that they didn't think only because the promise was delaying. There was a delay in the promise. They probably thought, you know what, if God wants us to have a baby, then we're just going to have to do things our own way. Let me tell you that the way you deal with delays will determine the way you experience your destiny. The way you deal with delays will determine the way you experience your destiny. I guess I'll compromise the vision. I guess I'll compromise the plan of God. You see, when we don't trust that he who made the promise is faithful to bring it to pass, we can try to take matters into our own hands, like we see here with Sarah. And in that process, we can end up making really bad decisions. 
in a moment of delay, you can end up leaving the church simply because you want to be exalted in your time and you're not willing to wait on God's time. In a moment of delay, you can end up leaving your job because your promotion isn't coming as quick as you think it should. In a moment of delay, you can end up going on the computer and looking up those websites that you know you shouldn't be on because you're feeling lonely. Or you can end up texting or calling that person that God already told you you shouldn't be talking to because you're feeling lonely. You could walk out of a marriage in a moment of delay because finances are tight. And God's telling you, I have something for you if you're just willing to wait. In a moment of delay, you could say, well, God's not bringing me anybody. So I'm just going to go out to a club and find somebody myself. And I'll just try to convert him or her. God won't know the difference. In a moment of delay, we can make very irrational decisions. Like Sarah, sometimes we don't know how to deal with delay. What they did was a solution, right? They ended up having their baby, but it wasn't in submission. Anytime that you come up with your own solution, but it's not in submission to God's strategy, it will become your sabotage. I'm going to say that one more time. Anytime you come up with your own solution, but it's not in submission to God's strategy, it'll become your sabotage. You know, and sometimes when we're very ambitious people, how many of you guys consider yourselves really ambitious, really driven people? I do. We can make the mistake of doing things too much for ourselves and not waiting on God's timing. When we're very operative, we can tend to do things in our own strength. When God is telling us, just wait just a little bit. Have something way better than what you could do in your own strength. I read this recently, this quote. The only thing harder than waiting on God is wishing you had. The only thing worse than waiting on God is wishing you had, and I've been there. Made decisions in a moment of frustration and of disappointment, and then thinking, God, I should have waited on you. It's been 10 years, 10 years since God first appeared to Abraham and to Sarah and gave them a promise. But it's been 10 years and nothing has happened. Maybe you've been coming to JTP Church week in and week out. Maybe you've been engaging in worship. You've been listening to the messages. But deep down inside, there's a lack of joy in your heart because you see, you know what? God promised me something such a long time ago. I was waiting on something and he just hasn't come through for me yet. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. But I feel in my spirit that there's many of us here tonight that are in that waiting place. And in that process, you've become very discouraged. But God wants you to know, you know what, there's still nothing impossible for me. It's not too late. Maybe it's a relationship that's looking hopeless. Maybe it's a family issue that's been going on for too long. Maybe it's a medical report that's not looking good. You might say, I'm single, and it looks like I'm going to be single until the rapture comes because God's not sending me anybody. Look at what Sarah does in the middle of her delay. It was her idea to begin with, right? Remember what woman in her right mind would do that? But it was her idea. She said, sleep with my maidservant. And once Hagar, the servant, had the child, look at what it says in Genesis 16.4. It says, and when she saw that she had conceived, meaning once she saw that Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Sarah began to despise Hagar. Can I tell you that comparison is the greatest thief of joy in this world? Comparison will suck the joy out of your life if you're not careful, if your eyes aren't placed on Jesus. And we lose our joy. We lose our hope, especially when we see others obtaining the promise and we're still in the waiting place. When others' lives look better than our own, and discouragement sets in. I don't know how many of you have been there before. Maybe, and it starts early on. It starts simple. Maybe you were hoping to get into that college 
and you didn't make the cut, but suddenly you see someone else that gets accepted. Discouragement sets in. Every day on Instagram, you see people getting engaged. It seems like somebody else is getting engaged every day and you're still lonely. Been there, right? Or maybe it's you work really hard at your job and you know that you're honest and you know that you're true at what you do and somebody else that has been there less time than you have and that's not honest gets promoted before you do. Discouragement sets in. Can I tell you that sometimes God can be trying to get you plugged into what he's doing here at JTP Church and he's telling you, come on, I have plans for you, but you're discouraged because your eyes are set on what the church across town is doing. And because you feel that you're not progressing at the speed that you want to, you get discouraged. And let me tell you that once you get that thing that you're longing for, it doesn't stop there. If you're waiting to get married, the day you get married, the devil's going to throw something else at you to get envy about, envious about. Because it's not an issue of your circumstances. It's an issue of faith. It starts in your heart. And so you're wanting to get married the day you get married. Then you start envying people who had a bigger, better wedding than you did. And then it's a race to see who got a house before you did. And then it's, oh, everyone now is getting pregnant on my feed. And we're just not there yet, right? It's this constant race, this constant comparison. Comparison will steal your joy. I felt so strong in my spirit to share tonight that we are called to embrace the current season of our life. Embrace the season of your life. And this was really hard for me to accept because we don't hear a lot of messages about this. We hear a lot more messages about declaring things, about breakthrough, about going to the next level. And don't get me wrong, I believe in that. I believe in that. We're called to declare the things that aren't as if they were. And we're called to believe in greater things. And God has great things in store for all of us. But can I tell you that God also says that we are called to be content with the season that we're in in our lives. We are called to be content. Are you saying that I need to thank God for my struggles? If I'm sick, I'm not going to thank God for a cancer. I'm not going to thank God if I'm experiencing lack. But I can rejoice in spite of that cancer. I can rejoice in spite of that financial situation. I can rejoice in spite of my circumstance. You see, contentment doesn't mean complacency. I'm not called to be complacent with the area of my life that I'm in. I could maybe be saying, you know what, God, I'm believing bigger, better things, but I'm going to be content while I go through this, while I'm in the waiting place. Look at what Paul writes. In Philippians 4, verse 12, speaking about contentment. And it's important to know the context in which Paul is writing this. Paul is in jail while he's writing this. Some of you are in a big mess in your lives, but it's a mess that you created all on your own. And you're like angry at God. And this man is in jail. And my dad, he's in jail for doing the will of God. He was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the right things. And he's in jail. He has every reason to be discouraged. But you know what? Look at what he writes. Philippians 4.12 says, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. Say with me, contentment. In any and every situation, every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. He knew what it was like to be content in his current season. I want to tell you, embrace the season of your life. 
If you're a student, can I tell you, go to class every day and embrace that season. Embrace that season. Those of you who are living at home with your parents, embrace that season. Because let me tell you, there's going to come a season where you're going to wish you could have your parents back and they're not going to be around. Embrace the season of your life. If you're single, embrace your singleness. Embrace your singleness. And that's a hard thing to do when we've been waiting for a while. But embrace your singleness. I see so many people jumping from relationship to relationship to relationship. And they never enjoy just a season of singleness. It's your season of singleness where God shows you your identity. God shows you what you've been created for. God shows you what you like and what you want in a spouse. Some of you, your relationships keep on failing because you don't even love yourself. You don't even love yourself. Can I tell you that you can't learn to love anybody else until you love yourself? There's this really pretty theory out there in the world. And people say it all the time and it sounds so romantic. Oh, I'm just looking for my other half, right? Or I'm just looking for that person that's going to complete me. Sounds really pretty, but can I tell you that's wrong? Can I tell you that I don't need anyone to complete me? I love my husband, but I am complete all on my own. And he is complete all on his own. And when we get together with Christ in the middle, that's where there's a fruitful and strong marriage and a strong relationship. You can't be looking for anybody else to complete you. Then that means that you need a season of singleness to be able to gather yourself, to love on yourself. How many of you can say amen? You are exactly where God wants you to be at this very moment in your life. Every experience is part of his divine plan. You are exactly where he wants you to be. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, I have made everything beautiful in its time. I have made everything beautiful in its time. It's telling me that there's a time for things. And that even if we're in a time maybe of lack or we're in a time of waiting, it's still beautiful. It doesn't mean that it's not beautiful. There's something that God wants me to learn from that season. And until you learn it, he's not going to promote you to the next level. I'm a teacher. Can I tell you that my students sometimes don't like me very much when I test them, but I have to test them because testing them is the only way that I know if they're ready or not for the next level. God is going to keep you at that same stage of your life until you get from it whatever it is that he needs you to get from that. Your attitude, how is your attitude while you're in that season that you're in right now? If you're renting, I love what Jojo, what Joe was just saying. While you're renting, how is your attitude? How is your attitude while you're single? How is your attitude while you're in that waiting place? I believe we'd be a lot less discouraged if we would learn to thank God for the things that we already have instead of constantly grumbling and complaining about the things that we want. Learn to thank God for the things that you already have. My mom has a saying, and she always says that. She says, there's people out there that's worse. She always tells me that. And sometimes I roll my eyes, but it's true. There's always somebody out there that has it worse than you. The apostle said it this morning. There was a man that was complaining all day. Oh, I, I hate my shoes. I want new shoes. My shoes are broken. Until he saw someone on the street that was missing a leg. He said, okay, I'll take my broken shoes. All right? Embrace your current season. Your attitude will change your latitude. Your attitude will change your latitude. You guys are kind of quiet. Come on, why don't you look at the person next to you and tell them your attitude will change your latitude. Some of you are constantly unhappy and you're dragging yourself across the floor and you're depressed all the time. That's a choice that you're making. That's your attitude. 
You know that I can't control what goes on in my life. I don't have a choice over what happens to me, but to rejoice is my choice. I choose to be happy. I choose to rejoice no matter what it is that I'm going through. To rejoice is your choice. And I look at the life of David, and I love David because he says things like, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He would talk to himself, and he would say things like, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I can almost picture David being kind of discouraged and looking around, and I don't see anybody. So, you know, I'm just going to encourage myself. Come on, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice. Sometimes you just got to snap out of it and tell yourself, I'm going to rejoice. Maybe my eyes aren't seeing right now what I want to see, but you know what? I'm going to rejoice anyway because that's what's going to promote me to my next season. If I'm thankful in the middle of it, make a choice to rejoice. How do you worship when you're wounded? How is your worship while you're waiting? You know, I love the fact that any time that Abraham and Sarah come out in the Bible, it always emphasizes that they were past the age. Everywhere it says they were past the age. And some of you, you feel that way too. Like, you know what, I've been waiting on this promise for a long time. And, and it's, I'm kind of, time is ticking. I'm getting older. It feels like it's impossible by now. You know, it's just not going to happen. Maybe for other people, but not for me. I wasted too much time or I've been waiting for too long. Can I tell you that the reason why God always wanted to emphasize that they were past the age, they were past the age is because God wanted us to know that impossible is where God starts. Impossible is where God starts. God says, I wait until things are really dark. I wait until things are utterly impossible. I wait till you're past the age. I wait till, yeah, you've been waiting for a while so that you won't ever take any of the credit yourself. Because God doesn't have to show up until it's impossible. Some of you just raised your hand and you said, yeah, I'm pretty driven. I consider myself a motivated person. And that's great, but you know what? If things aren't utterly impossible, then sometimes we can be smart enough and we could be resourceful enough and sometimes we could be connected enough if we have enough connections with people out there and we can even uh, be operative enough to somewhere along the line think that you did it yourself. Oh, I did it. Yeah, I got that job because, you know, I'm really smart or I'm really prepared for this job or I did that, yeah, because, you know, I have really good credit. You know, but God says, I'm going to wait till things are really bad. I'm going to wait till things are past their due date. I'm going to wait till things are so utterly impossible so that you won't have any choice but to thank me for it, but to praise me for it. So, like, you won't take any of the credit. Impossible is where God starts. I thought of another passage where it says that God on purpose intentionally waited until things were impossible to show up. John 11, and I'm not going to read through it, but John 11 talks about a family that Jesus loved very much. And that's Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The Bible says that besides his disciples, Jesus would spend a significant amount of time with this family. And he loved them very much. In fact, the Bible says that he loved Lazarus. And in John chapter 11, it says that Jesus is out preaching to the multitude. And he gets a messenger. And somebody comes and taps on his shoulder. It's like, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah. And they're like, Lazarus, the one you love is sick. We need you to come. And Jesus says something that was pretty odd. 
he stopped for a second what he was doing and he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. Okay? And he turns around and he keeps on preaching to the multitude. And then the verses after that just mind boggled me because it says it went on to saying how much Jesus really loved Lazarus. But then it says that Jesus didn't move to go visit Lazarus. It said that he waited two more days in the city where he was at, which was crazy to me. What type of friend does that? I mean, I wouldn't want a friend like that. I call you in my darkest moment. I'm sick. I need you to pray for me. I need you to come right now. And you don't show up until when? Jesus shows up on the fourth day. And guess what? By then, it was too late. By then, Lazarus was dead. In the Jewish culture, I learned that they believed that when somebody would pass away, their spirit would linger for three days. That's what they believed. And that by the third day, if nothing happened, then that person was officially pronounced dead. Jesus waited until the fourth day to leave. And then he tells his disciples, okay, let's go visit Lazarus. He shows up to their house and there's Martha. Picture her with her Latina attitude, right? If she was a Latina. What do you want? She's like, I'm here to see Lazarus. And she's like, you're not going to roll that stone, right? He's been dead for three, more than three days. It stinks. It reeks. And Jesus is like, yeah, roll the stone away. Lazarus, walk. And Lazarus gets up and he walks. And it's amazing because Jesus intentionally waited until it was impossible, until it was so dark, until everyone was probably mad at him. And then he said, and then he had the nerve to say, I love Jesus. He had the nerve to say, yeah, and I'm glad. You know why? So it could build your faith. You know, sometimes things are so dark and we're like Martha, where they're like tapping our foot, like Jesus, where were you? And Jesus is like, chill. It was all part of the plan. It's not too late. It's not too late. So going back to Abram and Sarah, who God also waited until things were impossible to even show up. Now let's skip ahead to Genesis 18, verse 10. And we're going to read through 14. So Genesis 12, God first gives them the promise. Genesis 16, he reminds them of the promise because God every now and then comes and is like, you haven't forgotten, right? And then in Genesis 18, now it's been a really long time. At this point, Abraham is 99 years old. And mind you, they had not invented Viagra yet at that time. He is 99 years old. I mean, if things weren't possible before, things were utterly impossible at this point. This is like fourth day impossible, but like 40 years impossible. And look at what it says in Genesis 18, verse 10. It says, and he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And what was Sarah doing? She was listening. She was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old. There he goes reminding us again. Yeah, we know they're old. He's reminding us uh, it's impossible they were old and well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, 
saying, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why does Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. What did Sarah do when she heard the promise? She laughed. She laughed. She was leaning in on the tent door. She was listening. And the Bible says that she laughed within herself. And, you know, we can't judge Sarah too much because sometimes we're exactly like that. We could be leaning in on lots of messages, but within ourselves we're laughing, saying, yeah, okay. You could be leaning in while somebody's up here preaching about tithes and offerings, and deep down inside you're laughing, saying, yeah, I've been tithing for years and I'm still broke. You could be leaning in while somebody is preaching about, you know what, there's nothing impossible, like me right now. God can still do it, and inside you're laughing, thinking, yeah, okay, because you don't know my situation, because you don't know my family. God still has someone for you, and you could be thinking, yeah, okay, have you seen me? I'm old. We laugh, and what does God do? He confronts Sarah, and he tells her, is anything too hard for the Lord? I believe God is tugging at some of your hearts tonight, saying, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard? He tells her, I will come back at the appointed time. That tells me that God has an appointed time. The problem is that we tend to put due dates on things that God has an appointed time for. We put due dates on things that God has an appointed time for. It's like when a woman is having a child. The doctors give her a due date, right? It's an evaluation. It's an estimate. My, one of my best friends just gave birth to a beautiful little boy. And I remember seeing her at 40 weeks, you know, walking and waddling. And she was so mad. She's like, oh, I just want this baby out of me. And she was complaining. And it was funny because the baby came past the due date. And she was complaining and she was grumbling. And, you know, sometimes we're like that. And we tend to say things like, oh, the baby came late. The baby didn't come late. The baby came at its appointed time. The problem is that we put a due date on it. The doctor can say it can come on the 23rd, but it can come on the 29th, and that's its appointed time. Can I tell you, don't get frustrated if things are taking a little longer. It doesn't mean that it's not in development. It doesn't mean that, in fact, if it comes too early, that's a sign that it's unhealthy. If it takes a while, you know what? I'm believing God is cooking up something real good for me. It's in development. I know that God is going to give me something. I kept telling her, don't worry. That means he's going to be a healthy, chunky little boy. So I could squeeze his cheeks, I would tell her. Don't worry if you're, what you've been waiting on is taking a little longer. It's on the way. I love, love that our God, I, I kept on reading ahead, and I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but we know that they ended up having Ishmael, right? The baby that Abraham had with the maidservant was Ishmael. And God appears, like we said at this point, he's 99 years old. And God says, don't forget the promise. And I could picture Abraham thinking, yeah, we have Ishmael. And God's like, no, that's not the promise. I have a promise for you. You know what I love is that just because they had Ishmael didn't mean that Isaac couldn't still be theirs. You know that Abraham and Hagar had Ishmael, but 
God still had a plan for Sarah and Abraham, and that was part of the promise. You know that I love that God is a redeemer of regrets. Our God is a redeemer of regrets. Just because you've made mistakes doesn't make you exempt from the promise. Just because you've made mistakes doesn't mean that you can't have that promise anymore. They still got to have Isaac even after they gave birth to Ishmael. Or he, she gave birth to Ishmael. If you're in here today and you're saying, you know what, I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. I want to tell you that you could still have it. The enemy and your shame will try to convince you that, you know what, you made too many mistakes. You're not going to have it now because you did it the wrong way. And you lost too much time, but our God is a promise keeper. How many of you say amen? Isaac's name literally means laughter. His name meant laughter. You remember when Sarah laughed? She laughed within herself. God was saying, I always have the last laugh. I always have the last laugh. God is telling you tonight, I always have the last laugh. Come on, say it with me. God always has the last laugh. He's a redeemer of our regrets. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now, this shocked me when I read this. It says, by faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child. Say it with me. She bore a child when she was past the age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. I read this and I thought, but they make Sarah sound so good. Really? She judged him to be faithful? She laughed at God. But she made Abraham sleep with the maidservant. She did things the wrong way. But you know what I love about God? That he's a redeemer of our regrets. God is saying, you know what? It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made. You can still have that promise. He judged him to be faithful. Why did Sarah conceive? Because she judged him to be faithful. I want to tell you that tonight, you need faith to conceive the seed. She needed strength. She needed faith to conceive the seed. I pray that tonight, your faith may rise to believe truly that God can still keep his promise for you. You feel like the dream is impossible. You're too old. It's too difficult. I want to tell you it's not too late. One of the things about eating at my parents' house and I thought about this, is that my dad doesn't believe in expiration dates at all. It's like a joke we have with me and our family. I guess he went through a lot of hunger in Cuba <laughs> because he doesn't believe in expiration dates. He thinks that expiration dates are a scam from the government to get you to spend more money, to go out and buy more food. So <laughs> if we were to open my parents' refrigerator right now, I, I kid you not, you would find garbage bags full of expired dressings, expired cans in the pantry. It's gross. <laughs> Don't ever eat at my parents' house. He always says, eso está bueno. That's still good. Si tú te criaste en Cuba. You know, he would always tell me. But I laughed. But I thought, you know, our Heavenly Father doesn't believe in expiration dates either. Our God does not believe in expiration dates. You might be saying, you know what, 
I'm too old. Things are too difficult. My financial problem is just way too tight right now. If you knew the amount of debt I was in, if you knew just how long I've been waiting on this, I want to tell you, yeah, it's not too late. God's promises never expire. You're still good. God says you're still good. It's not too late. You're still good. His promises are all yes and amen. Come on, guys. I'm going to ask the band to come on up. And I think that this worship song couldn't have fit any better. I want to sing out tonight, God, give me faith to trust what you say. And I want to ask everyone in this place to come on, get up on your feet. And I want to ask you to think for a moment. If there's anything in your life that you've been waiting on for a long time, or there's just something in your life that feels like it's impossible I don't know how God is going to do it. You know what? That's the beauty of it. You don't have to understand how he's going to do it. You don't have to know exactly how he's going to make it happen. Just believe that he who gave the promise will be faithful to bring it to pass. She judged him to be faithful. She judged him to be faithful. I pray that tonight you can find him to be faithful. Find him to be faithful. You know that Hebrews 11 said that she conceived she received the promise because she judged him to be faithful. Even though she started off doubting, and yeah, she laughed. I want to tell you, it doesn't matter how you started. What matters is how you finish. And it's amazing how much we believe in God when we're newborn Christians, right? When I first came to Christ, man, I would believe in God for anything. Man, I would pray in the parking lot for that really close parking spot, and I would get it every time. And somehow, as I got older in the faith, Sometimes that faith begins to dwindle. Oh, well, that's taking too long. Discouragement sets in, no. Kind of like little children, right? I love working with children because man, they believe they can do anything. They believe anything. What do you want to be when you're an astronaut? You know, they believe anything. And then what happens when we get older? Our faith starts to dwindle. Our faith starts to get weak. I want to tell you tonight, God wants to bury up. He wants to take out some dreams that you've laid to rest. Some things that you thought, you know what, this is dead. This time has passed. A lot of time has passed. I don't know how I could do this. I'm, I just, I've made so many mistakes. I made things out of the order of God. I broke up God's plan and I don't know how I want to invite you to come up to the altar tonight. And I know that I'm not the only one that's feeling this way. If you've been falling for the trick of the enemy and you've been comparing yourself with other people and you've been saying you know what maybe it's just a, a, a sham to serve God how is that these people that serve, don't serve God have all these great things I want to tell you like the apostle was saying this morning God can still come through for you you don't have to envy or compare yourself with anybody else God has something special and particular over your life if you just wait if you just faithfully trust in him he who gave the promise will be faithful to complete it. Come on, if any of you in this place, you've, you feel identified with any part of this message, you say, you know what? God, I need faith to trust in you. I want to invite you to come up to the altar and we're going to sing this out together with all our hearts. With every head bowed, come on, with every eye closed. Let's sing this out to God with all our hearts.